We're learning about faith and how to grow in it next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Quite often, people are remembered by their faults or failures, but not so with God. If you're a Christian, you'll be remembered for your faith, just as Jacob was. Yes, Jacob was a schemer at times and had quite a few failures, but in Hebrews chapter 11, he's remembered for his faith. Allow that to encourage you today on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is here now with part two of his message, By Faith, Jacob Blessed, Worshipped, and Leaned. Notice verse 5. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Your offspring, whom you beget after them, shall be yours, Joseph. And they'll be called by the name of your brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. And then Israel, governed by God, saw Joseph's son and said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me and I'll bless them. And now the eyes of Israel will dim with age so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and he embraced them. So here we are at 147 years old. Jacob, with all of his self-confidence, laid it aside. All of his scheming, all of the plans and games, they're now gone. And instead, there's a resolute faith for the next generation. Jacob, now referred to a few times as Israel, draws his son to himself. And these two sons, and he says, they're like mine. They're like Reuben and Simeon. They're going to be like mine. And it made me think... As we look at Jacob's life here now at the very end, finally, at 147 years old. Now, it won't be 147 for us. Maybe it'll be 50 for us. Maybe it'll be 60 for us. Maybe it'll be 70 for us. I don't know what number God is going to give us, but is it going to take you to the end of your life to finally surrender to God? Is, that, is, is it going to take the... What is it going to take for you to choose to surrender your life now Will it be 104? Will it be, okay, you know, Ed, after I get all of my goals, after I get my education, I get my career, I get my house, I get everything settled, I raise my kids, then I have some grandkids, then, 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 finally, then, I'll finally surrender. And then by then, your whole life would have passed. It would have been like Jacob. You know, it's never too late, for sure. But it can be put off for too long. You sort of wish Jacob lived like this earlier in his life. What could have happened? What could have happened in his life? But for us now, we can lay aside our self-confidence and we can lay aside our schemes and games and plans and ask God for his forgiveness. We can learn from Jacob. We can learn from his life. 
I believe if Jacob was here today and he had a testimony to share, he would just tell us, hey, church, don't go the way I went. Don't do it. You'll regret it. When Paul writes in Galatians that when you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption, he's right. Look at my life. So much corruption. Look at the boys I raised. Look at how wicked and evil they were. I mean, some of them were murderers. Some of them were rapists. They would sell their own brother, put him in a pit to die, sell him to slave traders. Jacob would tell you, don't go my way. It's not worth it. The Bible says that these things, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, these things happen to them as examples to us. They're examples to us. They were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And so he sees Joseph here, and he sees the kids. He says, bring them here. I want to bless them. Our kids, your kids and grandkids, are a blessing from the Lord, church. They are a blessing from the Lord. Can I get an amen on that? Your kids, your grandkids are a blessing from the Lord. Even if you're not a parent today or not a grandparent, maybe you're an aunt or an uncle. Even if you are not married and you're single today, perhaps you don't have any connection with kids other than this church. Well, these kids in this church are very special to the Lord. And in a very real way, you can take these kids and take responsibility for the kids of this church. There are kids. When I look at the kids of this church, I have my own kids and a grandson. And although I have great influence in my son's lives and my daughter's lives, I don't have great influence in my grandson's life, unfortunately. But I get influence in your life and in your kids' lives. And I get to stand in such a way to bless your kids and encourage your kids. And I treat the kids of this church like they're my kids. They're very special, whether they're here one week or not. Whether they're here, they grow up here. I take it very seriously. And I want to pour into them. I want to be a good example to them. I want them to not only see Pastor Ed here, but when they see me at the store, that I'd be a good example to them. That they could see and look up to me and say, that's what a man of God looks like. Not a perfect man, but a man of God. I think very often in my prayers, I do not want to stumble at the end of my race and jack your kids up and hurt you and stumble you. I want to finish my race all the way through the finish line. No matter what comes my way, I want to be a good example. But that's not just for me. The kids of this church are also looking at you. They're looking at what a marriage looks like. They're looking at what a mom looks like. They're, they're watching you. And kids are smarter than they let on. <laughs> they're very perceptive. Even if they see you one time in the hallway and they recognize you at King Supers, they may not run up. They may not have permission to run up to you, but they make the connection. I saw them at church. And now they're seeing you at King Supers. And they're watching how you interact. And maybe the kids are jumping on at an older age and they're on Facebook and Twitter and they're watching what you write. They're seeing how you freak out. They're watching you when you say this and say that and there you are. How are you influencing the kids and the grandkids? Are you saying, bring them here and let me bless them? Now, of course, you're going to do that a different way. You're going to bless them by example. You're going to bless them by encouragement. You're going to bless them by living a life as unto the Lord. But do you think of blessing the kids of this church? I, I, I thank you, men and women, that teach our Sunday school. Thank you for investing your time in the children of this church. Thank you for that. Thank you for preparing the lessons and praying over those kids and getting down at their level and teaching them the Bible in a way that they can understand and being patient with them and loving to them and caring for them. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You pray for Pastor Michael. 
and Shandell and the Sunday school teachers and their spouses. Pray about becoming a part of that. Because our kids need instruction in the ways of the Lord. I thank God for Pastor Keegan and his wife and family and the men and women that support him to, to pour into the junior high age kids. That we have dedicated people that say, this is what we're going to, we are going to pour the word of God into their lives. Now, Keegan's never said this, but I'm sure there have been times when he looks at it and he goes, I don't think I'm making any progress. It seems like the world is just ripping the kids off and they're not really interested. He's never really sure, but I'm sure he's felt that way. I've certainly felt that way. It's like, I just don't think I'm making any progress. I see this posted and I watch this and I get another marriage divorce. And it's like, man, I don't even know. I, I don't know, Lord, what, what is it? I don't understand. Why are people falling away? And, and the Lord says, just keep sowing seeds, Ed. Just keep loving people. The results aren't up to you. And I thank God for Keegan and all the people that serve with him. I thank God for Josh and all the men and women that serve him and pour into the high school age kids in our church. I thank God for Tucker as he pours into the young adults of our church and the leaders around him. Like every area of our church has men and women dedicated to discipleship and pouring in. Why? Because the world, it seems like it's getting, you know how hard it is for you right now? How challenging it is for you? How you don't have the answers? You don't know what to do? It's one thing after another thing after another thing after, you know, I don't know how much I can take. Think about how it is for kids. They don't have the ability to process it like you do. They don't have the experience that you do. And they're just trying to make a go at it. And they've got temptations coming at them that we never faced, at least the way they're facing them. I didn't, know, I don't, I didn't walk around with a computer in my pocket. I, I didn't walk around with pornography shooting at me from advertisements. I, I didn't walk around with the kind of sexual immorality that's being pressed on every single corner. And our kids, they need you. Grandkids, they need you. They need you to stand in the gap, to pray for them, to bless them, to remember them. I hope you love kids, church, because Jesus loved kids. <laughs> you remember that time when the, kid, the parents wanted to bring their kids and the disciples said, they, it says here, the disciples rebuked them. We don't know what they said, but I'm sure, oh, Jesus doesn't have time. He's too important. Get your kids away. Not Jesus. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Let them come to me. Don't forbid them, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid hands on them and departed from there. So please pray for the kids in our church. Pray about getting involved in some way in discipling kids in our church. You know, for me, I got to spend so many, most of my ministry training and experience was with kids. I miss it. There's just something special about teaching kiddos and pouring into kiddos and just the beauty, beautiful innocence about them and, and how willing they are. And of course, as they get to a certain age, they get all rebellious and such. But even then, we get to adapt ourselves so that we can convince our children of the love of God. Not by argument, but by example. So Jacob says, bring those kids to me. It sounds like Jesus. Bring them here. I want to bless them. I love that. Verse 11, and Israel said to Joseph, this is such a heavy, dramatic verse. I know we're reading it so quickly, but don't, this is so dramatic. Listen to what he says, verse 11. Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. You know what he's saying here? I thought you were dead and I would never see you ever again. And look what God has done. 
Not only have I seen you and been with you for 17 years, but I also get to enjoy your kids. That's what he's saying here. No doubt, at the end of his life, so grateful for the faithfulness of God. So notice, he says in verse 12, Joseph brought them from beside his knees, and he bowed down with his face to the earth, and Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left hand, Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and he brought them near him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and not, the right hand is the hand of blessing, you know, the firstborn. And his left hand was on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. So he did this on purpose. He puts the hand of blessing that belonged to the firstborn on the secondborn, because God told him to do that. And so the way he has his arms set up, even though he's old, even though he can't see, he's doing it exactly the way that God is guiding him. And he blessed Joseph and said, verse 15, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who's fed me all my life long to this day. Now he didn't always believe this. Because remember that time when the famine hit the land and he sent his boys, he heard about the grain that's being sold in Egypt. He sent his boys to go get grain because he was afraid they would starve. And instead of praying and asking God to provide, he sends his boys to Egypt. Now again, God uses all of that, but he didn't always believe this. But now at the end of his life, he goes, oh no, I could see God's hand in it all. The angel, it says, verse 16, who has redeemed me from all evil. Bless the lads. Let my name be named among them. The name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father had laid the, his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his dad's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head and put it on Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his dad, not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. And his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. And Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I'm dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I've given you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. You just see the sovereignty of God here arranging all these things perfectly. God is in it all. And Joseph wants to help dad out a little bit. He's old, he can't see, barely able, leaning on his staff. They go, oh, no, dad, you messed it up. Put your hands back. And Jacob said, no, no, I'm the patriarch here, Joseph. I'm doing what God told me to do. And you know, yeah, he's gonna be a, he's gonna be a, a, a big, he's gonna be an important son as well. But truly his younger brother will be greater. And that was the will of God. Jacob's life, Joseph's life, was so filled with sorrow and challenges, sadness. The whole family, the whole family was filled with dysfunction. You know, that's a word that's used today. Dysfunctional families. Maybe even you have had that diagnosis or someone said, you know, what a dysfunctional family. Let me let you in on a secret. You ready? It's a big secret. Don't tell anybody. It just stays in the room. You ready? We all have come from dysfunctional families. There's not one perfect one in the bunch. And you go, Ed, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh yeah, sin has ruined every family. There isn't a family here that hasn't been touched by sin. And there isn't a family here that can stand up as a perfect example of what family should be. 
There's dysfunction in all of our family because of sin. Now, hey, we can't choose the family that we were born into or adopted into or through the foster care system. We can't choose that. God chose it for us. But we can choose how to respond. And we can choose how to go forward. I think of my own life, the faults and failures that Marie brought into our marriage from her dysfunctional family. And the faults and failures, that was not a joke, but you can laugh if you want. I didn't mean that to be a joke. I'll start with me. But she brought some problems in our marriage, and so did I. And there we are, two broken people coming into marriage, two broken kids that weren't saved. But let me tell you something. When we were born again, everything changed for our family. The dysfunction changed and began to improve, not only for our kids, but for our parents and grandparents as well. God apprehended our family. And what you need and what I need is to be born again. That's what will save your family. That's what will change the course of your life. That's what will help you raise your kids, love your kids, rescue your kids, pray for your kids. Ye must be born again in order to change the dysfunction in your family. It won't be through bitterness and unforgiveness. It won't be through holding a grudge and being mad the rest of your life. You must be born again. In no way am I minimizing the pain or hurt that you've experienced at all. It's hard to come from a divorced family or to have a mom or dad abandon you, to be in a horrific abusive situation or to have drunkenness or drug abuse in your parents. It's hard. Jacob and Joseph, Joseph, Jacob raised evil kids, evil kids. There were murderers among Jacob's kids, rapists. The whole lot of them came together and sold their own brother for a few pieces of silver. Oh, God used it prophetically. Joseph becomes a type and a picture of Jesus Christ, rejected by his own, but don't let the drama and difficulty. They were, a, they, their whole, they were so wicked and evil that they, they didn't care about Jacob spending time with Joseph. They didn't care about Jacob spending time with his grandkids. They didn't care. They, they lived every day knowing Joseph was alive somewhere and never told their dad. It's dysfunctional, to say the least. But here we are. What family got in the hall of faith? This dysfunctional family. Who got in? Who's the one that gets named first? Jacob. Jacob's in the hall of faith, remember? Go back to Hebrews 11. He made it in. And let me tell you something. If he'll make it in, you can make it in. Go back to Hebrews 11. Jacob makes it in. You see, God places us in the family of his choosing for his purposes. And like Jacob, all that he went through, he would say in all those times in the last breath of his life that he could look back and see the faithfulness of God in all those terrible experiences. He could look back and see how the master weaver and the potter spinning life on the wheel was putting things together for his plan and his purpose so that it says that while Jacob was dying, verse 21, at this very last breaths, he comes and he says, Joseph, bring your kids, bring my grandsons to me. I want to bless them. I want to tell them about the promise. I want to set up their future to be a future of faith. And what he can't see physically, he sees spiritually. And he looks into the future and gives them a future and a hope. And he learns and he shares in the presence of his son 
and his grandsons that nothing is wasted by God. Nothing. Nothing. Faith will get you to the end, church, all the way so that you pass it on to your kids generation after generation. You're born again. Everything changes. You don't, you're not bound by the sins of your father or your mother. And you don't have to repeat the sins of your father and mother because you have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You'll make, you don't have to repeat the sins of your mom and dad. You know why? You're going to have your own sins and your own mistakes and your own challenges. And every generation gets to learn of the faithfulness of God in its own way. But I'm telling you, there's nothing like being born again, living your life by faith. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. And Ed, I want to ask you a question related to what you just talked about. As you know, there's a lot of talk these days about generational curses or sins. What are your thoughts about that? (laughs) That's a great question, Larry. I chuckle a little bit because my thoughts are, you know, if I was going to say something immediately, I'd say it's one of the most destructive false teachings that's found and come from the pros- the fake prosperity teaching that we have today. It is a manipulative false teaching that hurts people. Generational curses do not exist, Larry. They don't exist. They're not real, biblically or otherwise. Don't let anyone throw that trip on you that everything in your life is because of a generational curse. I'm reminded in a very simple way how the Bible teaches us that Jesus removes the curse from our lives. Remember? Remember what it says in Corinthians? Uh, It talks about, well, really in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. And this idea of, hey, break the generational, break the curse, send me a seed gift, send me some, and I will pray and God will release you. That's, that's all a lie. They're liars. And that just, that's a liar lie. You, <laughs> you asked me, Larry, what I think, and I just have to be biblically honest, speaking the truth in love. Remember this in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Of course, in the new covenant, we are our full righteousness is found in Christ. But that you say, well, wait a minute, Ed. I know that my dad was an alcoholic, my grandpa's an alcoholic, and, and now I'm an alcoholic. Well, not in Christ. You're not in Christ. You're free. You're sober. You are delivered. You walk by faith. You'll never have a drink again. And how do we explain the generations of sin that get handed down? Well, habits, observational habits, even genes and proclivities of of our personality get handed down, but it's not a curse that you have, like somehow you can't get out from under. You just call upon the name of the Lord and he will deliver you. He has delivered you. And you're right. You can break the cycle. Your generation breaks the cycle, but it's a cycle, not a curse. It's a handed down bad habit, but not a curse. It is a learned behavior, but not a curse. It might even be genetically DNA, but it's not a curse. Sin has touched us all, and God wants to give you freedom. Take it. Run with it. Break the cycle in Jesus' name. Great question. That's very helpful. Thanks again. 
Hear this program again anytime you'd like at AboundingGraceRadio.com or through our church app. Do a search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play to download that to your mobile device. If your desire is to have a deeper experience with God, you'll want to read The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. This devotional is really an invitation to think deeply about your faith as you come alive to God's presence, surrounding, sustaining, and pursuing you. And we'll send it your way with a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace today. Call toll-free 877-30-GRACE. Again, we're at 877-30-GRACE. You can also order resources like this online at calvaryco.store. Please remember that it's your financial support that helps us do what we do. God is using the teaching of His Word in great ways, and what a privilege it is to be part of it. You can donate through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And if God has used Abounding Grace to bless and encourage you, we want to hear about it. And it's easy to share your thoughts and prayer requests at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Scroll down to the bottom of our homepage and connect with us. We'll return to Hebrews next time out on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. See you then. This is amazing grace This is unfailing love That you would take my place That you would bear my cross You laid down your life That I would be set Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.